Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Murder Mile. A true crime podcast and audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within one square mile of the West End. Today's episode is about Nora Upchurch. A kind, caring, trustworthy and well-loved West End prostitute whose unsolved murder shocked the city streets. And yet... By carefully re-examining the original evidence, it's clear that, all the while, Nora's killer was hiding in plain sight. Murder Mile contains graphic descriptions of death which may offend, as well as realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide... This is Murder Mile. Episode 18 Nora Upchurch and her lonely death in the empty shop. Today I'm standing on Shaftesbury Avenue, WC2. Not the nice bit of Shaftesbury Avenue, near Piccadilly Circus, by Soho, Chinatown and most of the West End theatres, but by the pug-ugly, nasty bit near the arse end of Covent Garden, an angry inner-city highway known as the A401, which runs thick with the choking fumes of trucks, the snarling engines of buses, the honking horns of cars, and the belching exhausts of black cabs, whose swirling fare meters move faster than their wheels ever do. And surrounded by bland office space, gloomy gothic buildings, a chef's shop, a builder's merchants, and an infamous sci-fi toy shop for fat middle-aged twats who are desperate to either look like they're massively nerdy, mentally defective, or a predatory paedophile. This is the part of Shaftesbury Avenue where you would only end up if you were lost, bored, desperate, or depressed. Having been blasted to smithereens by a Nazi bombing raid on the 11th of May 1941 at 3.47am, the original buildings in and around 173 to 177 Shaftesbury Avenue were later demolished, rebuilt 
and oddly renumbered. Starting from the left with 151, which then jumps to 177, only to double back on itself at 175, leaps back to 167 and 169, double backs on itself again by becoming 184, and finishing on the far right of these buildings with number 179. With 177 and 179 now being over 300 feet apart, even though back in 1931 they were side by side. It's almost as if the city planners were desperate to erase this horrifying moment from history. And yet, in a haunting and ominous parallel to those tragic events, outside of 177 Shaftesbury Avenue today, now renamed Mayfield House, which is once again an empty office space, now hangs an estate agent's sign, simply marked with the words, To Let. It's almost like a discreet memorial to the memory of Nora Upchurch, as it's right here where she was last seen alive, and where she would die. On Friday the 2nd of October 1931, at 10am, Douglas W. Bartram, the foreman and manager of Hilda & Co., and one of his loyal workmen, Frederick Field, left their workplace at 23 Great Pulteney Street in Soho. As workmen who managed vacant properties on behalf of Perry and Ball, a branch of local estate agents, Bartram and Field were assigned to check a leak in the water pipes and remove a two-let sign of the empty shop's exterior at 177 Shaftesbury Avenue. At 10.50am, with the only set of keys having vanished, and concerned that this dark and empty space may have become a hostel for hobos, a drug den for deadbeats, or a shag palace for sex perverts, the ever-conscientious Mr Bartram checked every window and door. Assured there was no signs of break-in, vandalism or theft, armed with a hammer and a chisel, Bartram forced entry by jamming a wooden door which had been nailed over a broken window at the rear of the property and entered the shop with his workmate, Frederick Field, a few paces behind. Although cold and dark, except for a broken office chair, an abandoned cabinet and a few scattered files, the shop was empty, so Bartram and Field set about seeking out this leaky pipe and awaiting the arrival of the locksmith to secure the vacant property. But as Field passed the thin dark lit passageway leading to the front door of 177 Shaftesbury Avenue, partially obscured by a white partition wall and lying on the cold and dusty floor, he saw what looked like a pair of legs. What's that? Field nervously asked his foreman, pointing towards the splayed lady's lower half, complete with black stockings and high-heeled shoes. Ah, it's just one of them wax models, Bartram reassured him. But neither man was buying this, as with its crumpled clothes and unusual pose, it looked too realistic to be a dummy. And so being unsure and keeping his distance... Bartram poked it with his umbrella. 
What he expected was the hard hollow thud of a shop mannequin. What he heard was nothing. As his umbrella tip sunk into the soft spongy skin of the corpse's flesh. Gulping hard, Bartram turned to his petrified colleague and stuttered, Fred, get the police, as they were not alone, as inside this empty locked shop lay the body of Nora Upchurch. Born Annie Louise Nora Upchurch on the 15th of August 1911, in a working class area of Wembley, North London, to Walter, a railway engineer, and Louise, a housewife, Nora's childhood was typical of those born in and around inner-city London of World War I. As being hungry, broke and malnourished, Nora and her siblings lived in constant fear, as unlike in World War II, when the buzz of German bombers alerted the city as death approached, over Nora's London loomed a silent terror as monstrous Zeppelin airships, loaded with a barrage of bombs, blitzed the city night after night. Being a free-spirited young girl, Nora was always in trouble, often running away from her violent and unloving home, and eagerly vying for the attention of boys. Proving too troublesome, aged just 14 years old, Nora was placed in the care of the Salvation Army at St Cuthbert's Hospital in South Norwood, and having left school with no education, she briefly worked as a domestic servant. But as a young girl in the late 1920s, the best that Nora could hope for was to get married or to work as a chambermaid. And yet, Nora wanted so much more out of life, so aged just 16, Nora left for the bright lights of London's West End, where hungry and cold, she became a prostitute. Although she had a difficult upbringing, according to everyone who knew her, Nora was a good person. Fun-loving, sweet, likeable, trustworthy and loyal. A professional sex worker, who didn't drink or do drugs, she had very little debts, and as an independent single woman who saw prostitution as merely a temporary solution, she never had a pimp. She was her own boss, with a rented flat in Pimlico and a rented room in Bear Street, just off Leicester Square. And having given birth a few years earlier to her beloved baby daughter, who she named Marjorie, Nora would only work from 2pm to 8pm, Tuesdays to Saturdays striving to ensure that her three-year-old daughter would want for nothing and got everything that Nora never had. Food, warmth, toys and the love of a devoted mother. And yet, aged just 20 years old, being so full of hope, dreams and with a baby daughter back home, on the evening of Tuesday the 29th of September 1941, Nora would meet a mysterious man who would offer her money for sex, but instead he would end up taking her life.
shaking and trembling. 27-year-old Frederick Field dashed to the Bloomsbury police station and promptly returned with Sergeant Arthur Ferridge, Constable Lashmar, and ten minutes later, the divisional police surgeon, Dr. William Fairley, who entered through the front door of 177 Shaftesbury Avenue. Beyond the black wooden door with the frosted glass, the narrow passageway was dark and dusty, running 20 feet long, 3 feet wide, and 12 feet high. With grey plaster brickwork to the left, and a wooden partition wall to the right. Immediately beyond the door, on the black stone floor, were two matches and a single half-smoked cigarette. Which wasn't Nora's brand, and yet it was stained with a crimson lipstick. Suggesting that it was here that Nora and her unknown assailant had stood, chatted, and smoked. As they ironed out the details of this cash-for-sex exchange, in a cordial conversation between two strangers. Close by was sat a fashionable felt green hat and a paste diamond brooch, which looked out of place on the dusty stone floor of such a drab and gloomy hall. But it was there just beyond the door, that Nora's attacker had struck, brutally strangling her, squeezing every breath of air and ounce of life out of her struggling body, and all within the airshot of the busy street and visible through the frosted glass. Although a slim, petite and pretty brunette with bobbed hair, a slight frame and an eye for fashion, in her last few moments alive, Nora had fought like hell. As by the door, just 18 inches off the floor, were multiple scuff marks on the grey plaster wall, made with a black shoe, as she had kicked and clawed to stay alive, as her attacker tightly throttled her throat until her last waking breath was expelled. Having collapsed in a barely conscious heap, Unable to see as the whites of her eyes had ruptured and filled with blood, and unable to breathe or even scream as her airway had been squeezed by his vice-like grip. Either Nora's attacker had realised his mistake having eagerly struck too soon, or had lashed out in an unprovoked attack which had taken them both by surprise. As having strangled her too close to the bustling city street beyond the glass-fronted door, Nora's attacker then dragged her, ten feet along the dark-lit passageway, to where Douglas Bartram and Frederick Field would later find her. Having dragged her by the feet along the dusty stone floor, her left arm lay outstretched above her head. Nora's clothes had bunched up under her back and her neck, and yet, although her lower body was partially exposed... Her shoes, stockings, and even her knickers remained in place. Suggesting her attacker's motive was not sexual. This was the awful sight that had shocked both Bartram and Field. But hidden beyond the partition wall, out of view, was a sight even more disturbing and confusing. 
once he had torn away her green skirt, entirely splitting the side seam. Nora's attacker had tightly rolled the material and carefully placed it under her neck, as if to make her more comfortable. Then tearing at the two white vests she was wearing to keep out the cold, he had ripped these thin garments, snapping the thin rubber straps and cruelly exposing her torso from her left breast down to her navel, none of which were bruised or mutilated. And yet, having ripped off her white silk jumper, he then tore off a thick strip of the fabric and forcibly stuffed it into her mouth. The white gag was thick with a blooded froth of saliva and mucus. As around her throat, taken from the two-piece outfit she was wearing, he strangled Nora with her own green belt, pulling the two lengths of felt belt tighter, strangling her for three long, slow and agonising minutes. Whereas once she was pretty, with a sweet smile, twinkling eyes and a pixie-like nose, now Nora's face was a contorted mess, all purple and swollen. The pupils of her beautiful brown eyes were fixed and dilated. Rigor mortis had set in, and having been dumped and left undiscovered for three days, her slender body had already begun to decompose. With her attacker having left, Nora Upchurch was left alone in the dark drab passageway of the empty shop. As the silhouette of strangers on Shaftesbury Avenue passed by the frosted glass before her. As unable to scream or even breathe, her life ebbed away, and she died alone and terrified. Her last thought, possibly being that of her three-year-old daughter, fast asleep in her cot, safe and warm where Nora had left her, who now, with no mother, no father, and no grandparents to protect her, would be put into a care home as Nora had, the once happy childhood of an innocent, destroyed by a maniac with an overpowering impulse to kill. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. The autopsy of Nora Upchurch was conducted that evening by Dr. William Farley and the Home Office pathologist Dr. Bernard Spilsbury at Westminster Mortuary in Horseferry Road. The cause of death was asphyxiation by strangulation, using a green felt belt. Except for a few blood spots on her ribbed vest, which were believed to be menstrual discharge, there was no sign of sexual assault. There was also no evidence that the murder was premeditated. No fingerprints were found at the scene as it was too dusty. No witnesses saw Nora or her assailant enter or exit the shop. And only a slight possibility that the motive was robbery was owing to her handbag being missing. In fact, excluding the cigarette butt, along with a green felt hat, a pair of black gloves, a paste diamond brooch and a heart-shaped pendant, all of which belonged to Nora, the only other item found at the scene was Nora's white metal wristwatch, which remained on her left wrist throughout the attack, and was smashed, stopping the time at precisely 8.20pm. And as much as both doctors disagreed whether Nora Upchurch had been dead for 24 hours, 36 hours or 48 hours, there was no denying the fact that her watch had stopped at 8.20pm, and that after the evening of Tuesday the 29th of September 1931, Nora was never seen alive again. But with very little evidence, no fingerprints, nor witnesses to the crime, the chance of catching Nora's killer was at best slim, and at worst, impossible. And yet, little did the police know but Frederick Fields, the man who, along with Douglas Bartram, had discovered the body of Nora Upchurch, he would also become the investigation's most valuable witness, and would lead the police to their chief suspect. As with no sign of a break-in at 177 Shaftesbury Avenue, what they did know for certain was that whoever had murdered Nora Upchurch must have had a set of keys. At approximately 1.40pm on the afternoon of Tuesday the 29th of September 1931, the day of Nora's death, Frederick Field, the sign fixer, employed by Hilder & Co. at 23 Great Pulteney Street in Soho, left the office, took a brisk five-minute walk down Brewer Street, Rupert Street and stopped off at Perry and Ball. The estate agents at 40 Shaftesbury Avenue having been contracted to remove the to-let signs from the windows and on the first-floor exterior of 177 Shaftesbury Avenue, and receiving one mortise key and one Yale key from Miss Keenan, both of which he signed for and headed on his way. At 2pm, Field entered via the front door where Nora's body would later be found. But this time, the passageway was empty, as was the shop, so he went about his duties. But having left the glass-fronted door open, so he could load his barrow with the discarded signage, 
After roughly five minutes of work, he noticed a tall man standing in the doorway. Although their conversation was brief, and they never exchanged names, Fields' description of this man is truly remarkable. Field stated to the police that the man was aged about 30, uh, 6 foot 10 inches tall, tan complexion, mousy hair, cropped short at the back and sides, uh, with a mousy coloured thin moustache with a gap in the middle, uh, gold tooth in the upper right jaw. He was medium build with square shoulders, was well spoken uh, and was dressed in a kind of biscuit and beige coloured plus four suit. He wore a gingery brown tweed cap uh, and a gold watch with a leather strap on his left wrist. And he looked he looked like a well-to-do man. And uh, yeah, yeah, he was a native of London. Asking Field for the keys, the mysterious man dressed in the plus four suit reassured him that this was all above board and handed Field a handwritten work order stating, please hand the bearer of this note the keys to 173-177 Shaftesbury Avenue, which was signed by the secretary of Perry and Ball, the estate agents. With the work order looking official, and the plus fours man clearly senior to him, Field did as he was told. And although they only spoke briefly, the plus fours man implied that he was an established leather goods retailer, and the prospective owner of the premises, who was looking to revamp the lighting. And with Field being a qualified electrician, they agreed to meet later to discuss the layout, with the plus fours man promising to return the keys, once he'd finished, to Perry and Ball. But that very evening, by Piccadilly tube station, at roughly 9pm, 40 minutes after Nora's watch had stopped, as Field stood wearing his best suit, desperate to impress his future employer, the plus fours man confessed that he had forgotten the keys to 177 Shaftesbury Avenue, and with both men being unable to enter the shop, the plus fours man left, promising to return, but he was never seen again, and neither were the keys. Armed with nothing but a stunningly detailed description of the plus fours man, during the afternoon of Friday the 2nd of October 1931, Field assisted the police by laboriously trawling through the police crime index at Scotland Yard, which contained the photos, details and rap sheets of all known felons in the London area. And although some fitted the description, they didn't find a match. Desperate to catch this maniac before he struck again, Field volunteered his free time by patrolling the West End with the police, having refined his description. But once again, Nora's killer evaded arrest. And yet, sometimes coincidence smiles on the desperate as just four days after the discovery of Nora's body, police at Richmond Police Station arrested a known felon on a fraud charge. He was the right height, the right size, the right shape, with a pencil-thin moustache 
tightly clippered hair, and as was the fashion of the day, he wore a brown plus four suit. His name was Peter Webb. At the station, Field was asked to identify Webb's brown plus four suit, which was neatly laid on the table before him. And although it matched the description given, Field was certain that this was not the suit worn by the plus four's man. It was a shattering blow to the case. But believing they had their man, the police wanted to make sure. So whilst Peter Webb was being interviewed on the unrelated charge of check fraud, Frederick Field was ushered into the room. And looking Webb squarely in the face, the following conversation took place. Field said, Hello, you remember me? Webb replied, I don't know you. Yes, you do. I handed you the keys of the shop at Shaftesbury Avenue last Tuesday. Not me. Yes, I did. What had I got on? Your plus fours. What hat did I have on? The colour. Brown, I recognise you. I haven't seen you before. You had a cap on. I've never had a cap. Do you think I'm daft? You must be. I spoke to you in Shaftesbury Avenue and next in Piccadilly. I've never seen you before or talked to you ever. You can't prove different. I take my oath I saw you. I am positive you're wrong. After which, Frederick Field confirmed to the police sergeant, that's the man I handed the keys to. Peter Webb was arrested for the murder of Nora Upchurch, and as a career criminal and a habitual liar, who was later sentenced to 12 months hard labour for check fraud. When Webb was questioned, he staunchly denied any knowledge of Nora, her murder, the shop, meeting Field, or ever being given the set of keys. But after an exhaustive investigation, during which Peter's movements that night were thoroughly checked and verified, he provided the police with a cast-iron alibi, proving he was not the plus four's man, nor Nora's killer, and Webb was released without charge. On Thursday the 19th of November 1931, at Westminster Coroner's Court, the case into the murder of Annie Louise Nora Upchurch was heard before a jury, and with no suspects on trial, all the evidence presented, and featuring the witness testimony of both Douglas Bartram and Frederick Field, the coroner, Mr Ingleby Oddy, concluded that with insufficient evidence to convict anyone for her murder, that Nora Upchurch was willfully murdered by a person or persons unknown. With very little money, an uncaring family, and no husband, Nora was buried in a pauper's grave. Her few remaining possessions were sold to cover the cost of her meagre funeral, and the fate of her three-year-old daughter, Marjorie, remains unknown. And unlike so many West End prostitutes, such as Ginger Ray, Dutch Leia, Margaret Cook, Dora Friedman, and Rita Green, who were murdered at the hands of a homicidal maniac, each of their killers evaded the police, escaped justice and walked free, maybe 
to kill again. And yet, a full 87 years later, the murder of Nora Upchurch remains unsolved. And it may never be solved. But then again, much of the evidence given is only as strong as Frederick Field's witness testimony. And given that after Field picked up the door keys from Miss Keenan at Perry and Ball, on Tuesday the 29th of September 1931 at 1.45pm, right up to the moment he supposedly discovered the body of Nora Upchurch on Friday the 2nd of October 1931 at 10.50am, no one can actually corroborate any of the details in any of Frederick Field's statements during this period. No one knows who the plus fours man is, where the keys are, where Nora's handbag is, or how Nora Upchurch ended up dead inside a locked and empty shop. It may have remained the ultimate locked room mystery, but almost two years after the death, burial and trial at Westminster Coroner's Court, where it was concluded that Nora Upchurch had been murdered by a person or persons unknown, a 27-year-old man walked into the West End offices of tabloid newspaper The Daily Sketch. He was tired, nervous, worried, and desperate to get something off his chest. A secret he had held onto for over 18 months. And it was here that he confessed the brutal murder of Nora Upchurch. His name was Frederick Fields. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. Don't forget, if you want to know more about the murder of Nora Upchurch, please do check out the Murder Mile website at murdermiletours.com or join the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast discussion group on Facebook. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Next week's episode is part two of Nora Upchurch and her lonely death in the empty shop. Thank you and sleep well. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.